our relationship with you, we grow in our understanding of who you are. So we pray that you will anoint each of us here or online or listening some other time to anoint us with ears to hear and eyes to see, that we would not be blinded by Satan, that he won't be able to keep from us the glorious revelation of your word, that we will see all that you have for us, hear all that you have for us, and we give you the glory, honor, and praise for it in Jesus' name, amen. Give somebody a high five if you high five people and you can have a seat. Glory to God. Happy fall. As it's getting closer to fall or not summer, as we call it in South Texas. Still hot, but we're moving along. So anyway, today we're going to talk about and one of my quick one-offs is called Fit for the Fight. And uh, it popped up in my heart, my mind, I don't know, some time ago, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, something like that. <clears throat> and um, it's just another thing that is almost like a maintenance issue for the body of Christ. So we're going to talk about the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 and for some of us, it'll be review. For some of us, it'll be new. But God wants to remind us that we need to be fit for our fight. We have an enemy, Satan. He's always seeking whom he may devour. Um, and the Bible says that <clears throat> he walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour. And again, we go back to those you know, National Geographic or whatever TV show videos, Animal Planet, when you see the lions in the Serengeti, and they're following the pack of wildebeest, as the water begins to dwindle, and all the animals go to get a drink, they have to look out for the lion. Deep in the tall grass, the lion crouches and lays in wait. Anyway, you see the lions, they're kind of walking around, and they'll just kind of do this thing where they'll... Just walk around and look, and they'll assess, and they'll look for something weak. They'll look for something that's not paying attention, texting or something, when the pack has moved on and they're still behind, and they're just like looking for the one that they can devour. And so there's a fight that we're involved in because we have a, an enemy who is Satan, who's an enemy because of our, uh, our belief in God and because of our existence in the world. But we also have a fight with life on this fallen planet. Life on this fallen planet is also a fight because we have sickness and disease. That's just, it's always a tool of Satan. But, you know, Satan doesn't have to work to get somebody the flu or the common cold. It's just part of life, right? There are things that are going on in the world. So I'm not discounting the fact that Satan uses sickness or disease or different things in the world. But there's just life that we have to look out for. We're driving in, in big metal plastic containers like flying down the road. road. And it's, it's not flying to us because we've been doing it for so long. But, you know, when you watch the old movies or think about old times, you know, they used to travel by horseback or on foot. And bumpy carriages and stuff like that. So we're able to do stuff, you know, super fast compared to what they did in the past. But we're on the road and there's, you know, just there's constantly things that are out there that could try to take us out. 
There are issues that we could run into. And we have to be fit for the fight. And this fit that I want to talk about today is a spiritual fitness. We need to be physically fit. That helps in all things. But I want to talk about our spiritual fitness. Because if we're not fit for the fight that's coming, we will probably lose. But even if we don't lose, it will be such a struggle that it will take all of our energy, it will take all of our effort to deal with this fight when it shouldn't. Maybe you can remember a time in your life that maybe you were a little more physically fit than you are right now, or maybe you remember a time when you weren't as physically fit as you are right now. Um, But you can remember the difference between one activity that you did and the exertion level you had to get to to do that. When you're more fit or when you're more in shape or whatever the case is, you can, let's say, run a mile, you know, with ease. I've always had trouble running miles. I've never liked running or running miles. But, you know, I've had those friends that just, you know, spring on their feet like gazelles and they just take off and run a mile. And they get back and, you know, want to know what's next. But for me, when I had to do my mile, like we had the presidential fitness thing, man, it was, you know, I'd be thinking about it all day, dreading it all day. You know, you go run your mile, you're sore for a couple of days after that, you know, and it just took a whole lot more for me than it did for some other people. Well, if we're not in shape, no matter what the battle is, it's going to be difficult for us to overcome. And so the more spiritually fit we can be, the easier we can get through whatever battle we're going to be presented with. And we know because of God's words, not a negative confession, we know we're going to be presented with a battle. And one of the things that we deal with in uh, our Christian lifestyle is apathy will uh, take a little time off or we'll feel like it's not that deep or we don't have to do that much and we'll kind of get spiritually lazy and then all of a sudden that roaring lion that was looking, oh, oh, look, they've been spiritually lazy. They're a little bit weak right now. They're limping in the spirit. They don't have any spiritual energy. Let me go pounce. And he goes to pounce, and we go to calling on the name of Jesus, which we call in the name of Jesus, we shall be saved. But I'd rather be saved like in 10 seconds than 10 minutes. I don't know the last time you got into a fight, but fights are, they take a lot of energy. Fights are exhausting. And you might have all the technique and great stuff in the world. But if you give everything you got in the first 30 seconds and they can withstand that first 30 seconds, oh man, what's going to happen after that? You might be the better fighter, but they might just be able to outlast you, which, you know, takes us back to Ali and, and the rope-a-dope that he put on whoever it was. I don't know if it was Fraser or something. I wasn't alive. But anyway, there's a fight coming. And the more fit we can be, the quicker we will deal with the fight. If we're not fit, the fight is going to drag on. Sometimes we wonder why it takes so long for this to happen in our lives or that to happen in our lives. It takes so long because we're weak. If we're weak, if our immune system is weak, it's hard to fight off disease. If our body is weak, it's hard to do physical labor. It'll take you, you know, a lot longer to do 10 push-ups when you're weak than when you're fit. You might be able to do the 10 push-ups, but you can do 10 push-ups in 10 seconds, or you can do 10 push-ups in a minute and a half, and your arms burn and shake, and you feel it for three days later. Right? It's just 10 push-ups. But the question is, how are we going to go into the fight? And so it's just a reminder today 
that we can be um, doing what God has for us to do so when these fights come, we will be able to confess Romans chapter 8, which we're going to turn to real quick. So Romans chapter 8, as we talk about being fit for the fight, there is a fight coming. There is always a fight on. The war is won. Like we can look in the back of the book and we know that God is one, uh, but we're supposed to occupy. And when you are an occupying force, you have to deal with, you know, little Taliban and ISIS attacks. Right? So when the U.S. Army was over in Iraq and Afghanistan, which is, you know, just supposed to be rounded, finishing up and stuff like that, they controlled the area quickly. The problem was you had those people that were hiding, and they want to come out every now and then and blow something up. Or shoot rounds at people. Or do something to cause some type of devastation. It's not that we didn't control the area. It's just that not every person was going along. So, you know, God has done the spiritual thing. He's done the heavy lifting. He's gotten us to the place where we can be his child and we can go to heaven when we die. All the big stuff God did. He wants us now to occupy. Which means we have to hold on to what he gave us. We have to hold on to what he died for us to have. Now, Romans chapter 8 my favorite chapter of the Bible, that we're only going to look at one verse real quick because you know how fast the time flies. Romans chapter 8, verse 37. After listing a whole bunch of things that we don't have time to read, that I know you're going to read because you are such studious believers, that I know you go back and study the scriptures and you read your chapters and stuff. says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. More than conquerors is what we're supposed to be. Now, a more than conqueror is different than a winner. A more than conqueror, to more than conquer someone or something, is not winning by the skin of your teeth. Which, if you would brush them, you wouldn't have any skin of your teeth. But I guess that's a whole other conversation. If we're going to be more than conquerors, that means we blow out our competition just completely out of the water. When we're more than conquerors, Satan brings us, um, uh, a, not a test, but he brings us some difficult time, and we get so much good out of that difficult time that he has to wonder why he ever brought it in the first place. If we're going to be more than conquerors, we don't, uh, we don't sweat and cry and have our bills paid at the last second. More than conquer means we have what we need in time and more than we need so that we can give to others that are in the same situation. When Satan comes and he tries to cause financial problems so that our houses get taken away or so that we get kicked out onto the street, our goal should be not only is that not going to happen, but I'm going to go find two, seven, twelve other people who are facing the same situation, and I'm going to use my faith to make sure that they get out of their situations. And so when we're more than conquerors, we're not dealing with this uh, thing of barely getting through or barely surviving or something like that. I don't want to be a survivor. I want to be a conqueror. And I hope you want that too. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 real quick. No, don't go there. Go to Romans 12 because we're close. And take, turning pages takes time, so I need to go while we're there. Romans chapter 12. Real quick, how can we be more than a conqueror? Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says, Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. We're supposed to overcome evil. We're not supposed to sidestep evil. We're not supposed to hide from evil. 
and try and stay away and say, you know, is the devil gone yet? Maybe he won't see me if I stand like this. Maybe if I go to church on Sundays, he won't see me and he, he'll, he'll kind of leave me alone. No, we're not supposed to hide from it. We're supposed to overcome it. The only way you can overcome something is to directly engage it. You can't overcome an enemy that you never meet on the battlefield. We have to directly engage it. Well, how can we do that if we're weak? How do we overcome evil if we don't know what God's Word says about the truth that He has for us? Or if we don't know what His Word says about us overcoming, how can we overcome evil? This is why... So many believers, every now and then on YouTube, I watch YouTube sometimes, every now on YouTube you see some pastor or some singer or something uh, talking about how they left the faith and how, uh, you know, whatever happened to them and that now they think it's fake and all this kind of stuff. They got spiritually lazy and they got overcome by evil. Satan went for them. They didn't do what was necessary and they got taken down. So much so to the fact that they... Uh, in essence, try to renounce their Christianity or say, you know, I'm just completely done with that. Satan wants to do that with each and every one of us. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And so if we're supposed to overcome the evil one, we have to be strong enough to do it. Let's look at Second uh, Peter chapter 2 real quick before we get to our armor. Second Peter chapter 2, sometimes we fall into this place where, again, we get lazy, we take our eye off the ball, we get busy doing other things, and things start to creep in, Satan tries to creep in, he tries to add a little bit here and there, because that's his method, that's what he does, and then we're looking up and wondering how we got somewhere. Like, you know, we were at the beach, I don't know, whenever we were at the beach last, my kids are trying, you know, they don't know about waves and stuff like that and how that works, and so, you know put our stuff here, they go playing over there, and they end up way down there. And they're like, what in the world, how'd I get over there? And so we try and have this conversation about the earth moving and the waves and the stuff, and those waves that we talked about earlier that are bringing back our bread, those same waves cause them to shift. And so when you're in the water, there's this constant force that's pushing in another direction. We can look at our life that way. Satan, being the God of this world, has this force. There are waves that we come into contact with every day that are trying to push us this way when God is telling us to go that way. Sometimes he'll try and push us backwards. Sometimes he'll try and push us a little bit to the right or to the left. But he's always trying to push us in a way other than what God has for us. And we get caught up in sometimes this verse could be uh, some people that we know, not us in the name of Jesus, but some people that we know. In Second uh, Peter chapter 2, we'll look at verse number 19. It says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is he brought in bondage. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. So, some people talk about promising liberty and freedom and all this kind of stuff, but they are themselves servants of corruption, and so what they end up selling is going to be corruption, and we can become entangled by that. But... What I want to point to is verse number 20. If we've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we can become entangled again. So just because we get free doesn't mean that we stay free. 
just because we got rid of this master doesn't mean that there's not somebody else that's trying to cause us to be entangled. So back in slave days in these United States, you know, some people would do whatever they had to do to be freed. And maybe they would be traveling from one place to another place. And they had the, you know, the Fugitive Slave Act or something like that, which meant, you know, if a slave you know, got free, they could be taken back and punished and this, that, and the other thing. Well, some people would use that to lie. And so the slave may have gotten free from one master, but then this other person saw them and says, well, I want to enslave them. So just because we get free at one point in time doesn't mean that we're free. Like, our, our spirits are connected with God. That doesn't change. We'll still go to heaven when we die. But just because we got free from some things in our mind doesn't mean that we are completely free. Like, let's say we had all types of bondage and we were dealing with uh, being financially bound in our minds. We got free from a financial bind, but then Satan wants to try some relationship type bind or some other binding of or trying to get us in bondage in some other area of life. So we have to make sure that when we are get free, we stay free from all the different things that are trying uh, to be used by Satan. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 6 real quick. And we're almost about to come in for a landing. All right, Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That's the tricks. That's the methods. That's the things Satan uses to try to catch us up. Verse number 12 says, For we wrestle not against the flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This is where a real fight is. We have to deal with the flesh, but our fight is not ultimately against the flesh. There is the flesh that Satan is able to use. There are people that will give themselves over to do the devil's bidding, but they're not ultimately the problem. And since they're not ultimately the problem, dealing with them is not really dealing with the problem. We have to go beyond that, and so we have to deal with things on a spiritual level, which is what he's talking about here, not wrestling against the flesh and blood. But he tells us verse number 11 to put on the whole armor of God. And we have to point out and recognize that the armor has to be put on. Now it's not something that you have to wake up and say, okay, Lord, I'm putting on my armor. I'm putting on my helmet of salvation. You can confess like that if you want to, but you don't necessarily have to. But we do have to do something to be covered by this armor. It's not automatic. We don't accept salvation and automatically get suited up and, and, you know, never take our armor off. If you've ever had any type of armor or sports equipment, you put it on when you play and you take it off when you're not. And so sometimes we as believers, we take off our armor and we want to rest. The issue is we have to always be ready to get that armor back on and dive in the battle. And so we have to remember, I have to have my armor on. And we're going to look at what that, what that means or what that looks like. As we look at the pieces. So we'll start in verse number 13. It says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now he just said that and he repeated it again, which means we really need to pay attention. Now I don't have time to pause for emphasis because the clock doesn't pause too. But you can read it and pause for your own emphasis, the fact that he's repeating this. And he says, Take unto you the whole armor of God. 
Uh, there have been times like <clears throat> when I was playing soccer that I may have accidentally left a shin guard. Shin guard is very important when you play soccer because of the nature of the sport. But, you know, what athlete doesn't want to play because they forgot a piece of equipment? And so I would do that stupid thing where I just pull my socks up and, you know, just try to look like I have my stuff. And like every time you pay for it because somebody kicks you directly in the shin at least twice, which is why you're supposed to have the shin guards on. But I went out to play not having my whole armor. Bless you. I think I heard somebody do something. But I went out to play not having my whole armor. And that cost me. Things were more difficult. It caused more pain. But I still tried to do it. In our Christian life, sometimes we don't have our whole armor on. Sometimes we go out with just a helmet on. Our helmet of salvation. We'll talk about why that is maybe in a second. But some, a lot of us believers are walking around on a battlefield with only a helmet. And we wonder why our ribs keep hurting from the blows and shots that we keep taking to the ribs. We wonder why our feet hurt because they're not shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We wonder why these things are happening in our lives. But the answer might be simply here, us not having the armor on in place when we need it in place. So he points out, says, take the whole armor, meaning don't take part of it. Verse number 14 says, stand therefore, having your loins or your pelvic area girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Truth being around our loins means that it serves as a belt. Uh, when he was uh, imagining a Roman soldier at the time that he was uh, writing this, you know, we can use up-to-date soldiers or the Roman soldier that he was talking about. More particularly back then, everything tied into their belt. And so if they had a breastplate or something on, sometimes it would link up to the belt and it would hold it down. And then they would have the stuff on their lower body would kind of come up and it would attach to this belt. They didn't have all the great materials and stuff like that that we have right now. And so they had to have things tied into their belt. But even in your clothes and stuff like that, when you wear a belt, uh, it holds things in place. The truth of God's Word is the first and I believe most important part by itself of this armor. And that's just my personal opinion. But if we don't have our belt in place, a lot of things can just begin to fly out of place, which we don't have time to look at. But if we have the truth of God's Word, everything else can begin to be fixed into place. If we don't have the truth of God's Word, then we can fall for lies. Then we can think our breastplate of righteousness is a breastplate of righteousness, but maybe it's not. Like uh, there are, you know, we have bulletproof vests. And there's a, a thing called CrossFit, an exercise, and they do some weighted exercises. And they make a vest that looks just like a bulletproof vest, but it's just a weighted vest. They look identical. They use the same material, but instead of putting ballistic material on the inside, it's just something that's heavy. Some of us believers, because we don't have the truth of God word, truth of God's word, we think we have on a breastplate of righteousness. That's ballistic, meaning it can stop um, rounds from going into our torso, bullets from going into our body, but it's just weighted. It's just heavy. It feels like a ballistic vest, but if we get shot, it'll go in one side and it could come out the other, 
Because it has no properties for stopping a bullet from going through your body. So if we don't have the truth of God's word, we don't even know if our equipment is what we think it is. So God's word, the truth of God's word, this is the belt of truth is talking about the Bible. That's why one of the reasons we read our chapters day and night. Because we have to have God's word, his written word, to help keep us on track and to make sure that everything is where it's supposed to be. Without that, we can be just completely lost. We'll continue moving down, though, for time's sake. We're supposed to have on the breastplate of righteousness. If you look in Genesis chapter 15, verse number 6, I'm not going to read it right now, but that was where Abram, soon to be Abraham, God was talking to him, and it was after the time that God said that he was going to have an heir, and then his wife had a bright idea, and he went along with it, and they had this child out of wedlock, and God said, that's not what I said. And, you know, God is going to promise, but God tells him something, The Bible says that Abram believed him, and because he believed him, God counted that to Abram for righteousness. So God considered Abram righteous, even though there had not been the sacrifice of Jesus Christ yet. Because God was able to account it to him for righteousness, God was able to continue to do in his life what he wanted to do. If we're not in right standing with God, then his hands are tied. He's not able to do what he wants to do. And we've had some people like argue back and forth about can you be saved and unrighteous at the same time? Like can you have salvation and be unrighteous? I believe yes, based on the scripture we'll look at in 1 John chapter 1. We can look over there. But when we get saved, we activate salvation, which means we are God's children. But... If we're never unrighteous, that means we can do anything that we want to do. We can completely disobey God, but everything is still okay. That would be equivalent to you having a parent. Your parent tells you to do X, Y, and Z, and you do M, P, and F. When you do M, P, and F, and your parents said do X, Y, and Z, normally there was a problem. There was some friction depending on your age and different things like that. But maybe there was a time where, you know, your parents said, okay, you're on your own. Or maybe there was a time where your parents punished you for doing M, F, and P and not X, Y, and Z, whatever the case may be. When we're in relationship, I believe the same with God, we can have a relationship that doesn't change, but we cannot be in right standing within that relationship. So if I do something crazy and my wife gets mad at me, we're still married. Right? We're not ending the marriage because I left my clothes out or whatever the case might be. We're still in a relationship, but we're not in right standing. We're not talking the way we would normally talk. We're not hanging out the way that we would normally hang out because of this right standing issue. So if we look in First John, to kind of clear it up, this is written to believers. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We drop down to verse 2, number verse, excuse me, chapter 2, verse number 1. says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Why would we need an advocate with our Father? If not but for, to help us clear up the unrighteousness that we jumped off into. It says, He's the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. So we can get out of fellowship or out of right standing, even though our relationship with God the Father is still intact. 
So having our breastplate of righteousness on means that we are in right standing relationship with God. We're not being disobedient to his word. We're not doing the opposite of what he's telling us to do. If we have our breastplate of righteousness on, then that part of us is covered. We have some type of coverage in this life or in this fight when we're righteous. But if we're saved and disobedient, then that's one piece of the armor that we're not able to have on. That's why I said some believers, a lot of believers could just be walking around only having a helmet of salvation. Your helmet of salvation goes on and stays on. You don't have to like reactivate your salvation. There's no monthly fee. God's not checking the giving records to see if you did tithe the last time you got paid to see if your helmet of salvation is on. But these other pieces, they can come and go based on what we're doing. So we go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Look at this next piece after the breastplate of righteousness. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 15, says, Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How many... Believers, do you know that threw away their shoes of peace in the last 18 months? How many believers do you know that have not had any type of peace or got all disturbed because of what was going on in the world? Not to say that what was going on in the world wasn't a big deal, but we're supposed to have peace in God's Word. So, a lot of us just kicked off our shoes of peace. We got rid of them. We threw them away and have just been completely anxious, completely fearful. And now we're not walking the way that we're supposed to be walking because we don't have peace. If we don't have peace, it's really hard to... The Bible tells us to follow after peace. The Bible tells us that we are to be led by peace. We're supposed to have peace on the inside that leads us and guides us. But if we don't have peace, how can we follow God's leading? If we don't have peace, we're probably in fear. And that means we're motivated by something that is not coming from God Almighty. So we're supposed to be walking each and every day in peace. So if we don't have peace... That means our feet aren't covered. That's a piece of armor that we're not engaging. doesn't mean that we don't need to uh, do things. It doesn't mean that we don't need to pay attention. It doesn't mean anything other than whatever we do, we should be doing it in peace, from a standpoint of peace in the name of Jesus. Keep going down, verse number 16. Now let me go to John chapter 15 really, really fast. John, number, John chapter 15, we're just going to look at verse number 27, where he says, Jesus speaking, that's not the verse I wanted, alright, skip it, <laughs> Jesus said, my peace I give to you, Jesus left us with his peace, we're supposed to have his peace, we're supposed to be full of peace, so that no matter what situation we walk in, whether we're walking through the shadow of the valley of death, or we're walking some other place, we're supposed to have God's peace on the inside that leads us and guides us. Alright, back to Ephesians chapter 6. Verse number 16 says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now this is really, really, really serious. Our shield of faith helps us deal with fiery darts. 
fiery darts from Satan a lot of times come in the form of thoughts. How many times have you been somewhere and a thought popped up in your head? Especially now, right? When was coughing so offensive before now? Right? I mean, we instinctively got into this place where when we would be out in public and we just, you know, you drank some water and, you know, part of it hit the, the windpipe or something and you had a little tickle in your throat. How many of y'all like me were suppressing your cough because you didn't want somebody to start, you know, oh my, you know, they go the other way and oh my gosh, they're infected or something. And uh, there are darts that would pop up. You hear somebody else cough. You hear somebody else sneeze. Oh, you think they got something? Oh, maybe I need to stay away from them. Or we cough or sneeze ourselves. Oh my goodness. Did I get it? Did I catch it? Do I need to go get checked out? I know I'm dusting and there's a lot of dust in the air, but maybe I got something. It could be all types of different things, but thoughts come. And Satan wants to get those thoughts in our mind and he wants those thoughts to stay there because then they'll fester. We start thinking about that person that we ended up in the car with or we had to talk to at the restaurant. You know, they were coughing a few times. And, you know, it's, it kind of goes away and then we go home and later that day we cough. And Satan reminds us you were next to somebody that was coughing. And now we're like, man, they were coughing. Now I'm coughing. Does that mean, oh my goodness. And, and it can start to build and fester and turn into something, you know, completely crazy. But we're supposed to use our faith to quench those fiery darts. We're supposed to use our faith to take the fire out and the sting out of the dart. We're supposed to use our faith to say, no, I'm not accepting that thought because my faith is in God's word. Whatever it is, he might be saying, man, you're always going to be broke. You're always going to be poor. Things are never really going to work out for you because, you know, you're just not that kind of person. Just settle into this, you know, economic limit that you have or whatever the case might be. He might be telling you all this kind of stuff, all this stuff, but our faith in God's word is what will quench that dart. Real quick, we'll start to close up. Verse number 17. Helmet of salvation. We already talked about that. Get saved. Now the Bible is the belt of truth. Having God's full word has our belt of truth in place. And as we get God's word consistently, our belt is on. But verse number 17, after it talks about the helmet of salvation, it says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God's word is our sword. God's word is our close combat weapon. And God's word is supposed to come out of our mouths, especially when we're in the battle. When we let something creep up on us, and we did catch something, or we did end up in a financial situation, or we are dealing with whatever type of situation we can be dealing with, God's word is supposed to be coming out of our mouths to stab, to dice, to cut, to do whatever as we're in that battle and in that situation. And so, God's word cannot go unspoken in our lives. If his word is not coming out of our mouths, it's not having the effect in our lives that we need it to have. If his word is not being spoken, which is what this word, word here means, it's rhema, it's spoken word. If we're not speaking God's word, his word is not able to go into our lives and cause the changes that we need to happen. 
His word is not able to go out in our lives and keep things the way we want them to stay. And so we have to be allowing his word to come out of our mouths. Now, we can be in tune with the Holy Spirit. When, uh, if you end up in a situation, like an emergency situation, don't say the first thing that comes to your mind. Because that may not be what you need to say. Allow God to tell you what you need to say at that time. It may be rebuking the devil. It may be confessing God's word. He may give you insight to something spiritual that's happening behind the scenes that you don't know. So when we're in an emergency situation, the best thing we can do, outside of dealing with whatever physical things you have to deal with at the time, one of the things that we need to do is stop and listen, check our heart, find that peace, and then say what God says. When we're dealing with an emergency situation, we can say all types of things, but we may only need to say one sentence. I've seen people, like in prison fights, get stabbed like 40, 50 times. You can withstand a bunch of stabs. And the reason I'm talking about stabbing is because we're talking about the sword of the Spirit. You can get stabbed a whole bunch of times in certain places of your body. A person, not you. You're not going to get stabbed anywhere. But a person can get stabbed in their body a whole lot of different places and still live and survive. They can still fight back. But there are a few places on the body when a person gets stabbed, they ain't doing nothing anymore. You cut a ligament or something like that in somebody's arm or leg, it's done. It won't work. You do not have to worry about getting hit with that ever again. Unless they have surgery or whatever. So when we are using the sword of the Spirit... We need to find out what God has for us to say so we can use that dagger in the right place at the right time. And we're trying to, we're like trying to jab Satan and we're trying to, you know, shank him and just put as many cuts as we can on him. We don't need to do all that. We just need to get him in the one right place. And when God's word comes out of our mouth, When we are doing what he has for us to do, it will end whatever we need ended immediately. Instead of us running around, saying a whole bunch of stuff, throwing stuff against the wall, and hoping that it sticks. So I hope this week you'll take some time to refresh yourself on the armor of God. We didn't get into it. Verse number 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. That's like the spear. That's the long-range weapon. We're constantly, we should constantly be engaged in speaking God's word, confessing his truth. We should be engaged in praying, both in English and in tongues, to deal with long-range issues. The more things we can deal with out there, the less things we have to deal with right here. I'd rather deal with the threat over there with a rifle than over here with a handgun or a knife. It's just easier, it's more efficient, less opportunity for you to get hurt. Well, the more we pray and use our, our, uh, our armor to keep things over there, the less we'll have to deal with over here. So the more active we can be, the more fit we can be, the more engaged we can be with God and His Word, the smoother our lives will flow. God doesn't promise us easy life, but He promises us good life. He doesn't promise us that we won't have to deal with bad things, but he does promise us his blessing. How much of what we get is dependent on us. 
how much we're able to deal with. Now, God says that he won't allow Satan to put anything on you that you can't deal with. He won't allow you to be overcome because of your lack of power or ability. But he does allow Satan to attack. The question of whether or not we will endure the attack is if we'll simply do what he says or not. He won't allow Satan again to, to, to throw something at us that we just have no opportunity to handle. But we have to be fit. That means we have to stay current in righteousness. Stay current keeping our belt on, which is engaging ourselves in God's word, confessing his word out of our mouths, and allowing God to do again what he said he was going to do. Go ahead and bow your heads. We want to take an opportunity to invite anybody into the body of Christ.